Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. Heroes, this week we have a special treat for you. I'm going to be playing A Green Hour with my good friend Gian Shim. In case you haven't already picked it up, A Green Hour is one of the games from the Ultimate Micro RPG book. And I think it's one of the games that exemplifies why it's such a special collection. A Green Hour is a game about intimacy. It's about two characters from different cultures who are arranged to be married to one another because it will literally save the world. And the whole game is role-playing the night of their first meeting, the consummation of their marriage, and the effect that has on their world. It's a far cry from the fantasy adventure role-playing that a lot of people picture when they picture role-playing. And I'm so thrilled we got it into this collection because it shows off the true range that role-playing games have. For this reason, though, Gian wanted me to point out that this game is not for everyone. And in many ways, it's not a game for beginners. It puts people in an extremely intimate position. It's a lot easier to talk about swinging a sword at a troll than it is to talk about sex. For some people. And while there are no explicit scenes in this series, it does get a bit steamy. Not to scare anyone off of our A Green Hour series. The world building that we do in these episodes is really, really cool, and I love the characters that we came up with. Just be prepared for the content. And I really sincerely hope you like Gion, because Gion is going to be around for a while. The next series after this is going to be featuring a mini-game from Gion's new Collected Path role-playing game, The Shape of Shadows. The preview link for the Shape of Shadows Kickstarter is up now, and we're linking it in our show notes. I am extremely excited about that game as well, but because we're going to be with Gion so long, I'm going to hold off on explaining exactly what it is and why you should get into it. Hopefully seeing Gion's work through a green hour will pique your interest, but I'll leave all that to the game. Before we get there, though, I did want to point out that this is our 400th episode of One Shot. Frankly, it is amazing to me that we are here and that I am here doing this professionally. I thought I was going to make a bigger deal of this, but I have been so busy with all of my work at the network that I frankly haven't been paying that much attention to it, which in a lot of ways is a good thing. But it's good to stop every once in a while and take stock of the amazing blessings that you have in life. And One Shot is absolutely one of them. Thanks to everyone listening right now, especially those of you who have stuck with us for so many years as we've grown into a wonderful network that I am so very proud of. I'm grateful that our listeners have allowed me to branch out from, you know, the comedy that I started out doing on this show to games like A Green Hour, which have really interesting mechanics, but not many spaces to laugh. After all this time, I still love games and I'm still thrilled to have the opportunity to share my love of games with all of you. There's more that I could probably say, but again, I didn't prepare. So that's it. I just wanted to take note that yes, this is 400 episodes of this show. So with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. I am recording with a good friend of mine. Please welcome to the show, Gian Shim. Hi, it's so great to be here. Gian, I am so happy to have you on. We were just talking right before we started recording, and you mentioned that this is actually our first time playing a game together. I know, I'm so excited. Uh, it is wild to me that we haven't played because, like, we met at conventions. Like, <laughs> That is I, know. I know. I actually, thinking back to my convention activity, I think I spend like a minority percentage of time actually playing games at conventions. I'm usually running them or helping facilitate someone else's experience. And uh, so I'm excited to get to sit down and have fun with a friend. Yeah, yeah. I am absolutely looking forward to that, and uh, especially with the game that we're playing. But before we get into that, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Is there anything that you'd like to plug for our, our listeners so they can find you and your good works? Oh, sure. The game that I co-designed and co-launched and like in tandem did everything with my good friend and artist Shingen Decor is live now. It's called Field Guide to Memory, and you can look up 
what people are making with it, with the hashtag field guide to memory. It's a connected path game about legacy cryptids and what you do after losing a mentor. It's, it's going really well. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. That's super cool. And to let the audience know that is a journaling game. So it's something that they can actually play by themselves on their own schedule. Yeah, absolutely. A perfect game for these pandemic times. (laughs) And I believe we also mentioned that you have a Patreon. I do. Yes, it is just the handle is my name, Gian Shim, which will be going up on the website so I don't have to spell it. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually where you can find most of my game's content. I tend to publish everything I make there, including sketches, rough drafts, like experimental stuff that gets put on the back burner for a while and then comes back in a new form. Um, Transformation is a theme today, apparently. And uh, (laughs) yeah, my itch store exists, but is not nearly as active. So I highly recommend Patreon. Then we've got our icebreaker question, which because we are playing a green hour today, I wanted to know if you were a god, what would the symbol of your domain be? I think it would be like a root network, but shown from the ground level down. So yeah, like a tree's roots going all the way down. And if the detail allowed for it, like you could see the subterranean animals and maybe like things even decaying and all the activity that goes on down there, the big community living underground. Yeah, I think Ooh, that I like it. that. That's very cool. I think also a good image to have in our mind as we go to play A Green Hour. Do you want to set up this game for us a little bit? Sure. A Green Hour is one of the micro RPGs in the anthology that James edited. The ultimate micro RPG book. (laughs) Yeah, it's really awesome. I, I finally got my copy and it's just so, for such sleek, fast little games, it's so dense with amazing imaginative materials. So I'm very honored to be in it. And A Green Hour is a two-player game where both players role play as the scions, the last people in two ancient lineages. The land that they live in is dying. And according to the temple, the two of you and your arranged marriage will determine the fate of the land and its survival as you both transform to become a single new god. So the entire fate of your people and the rest of the world is on your shoulders and you have to give up your humanity in order to do that. And that's the game. (laughs) It's some wild stuff. I am very much looking forward to it. So how do we get started? If you're someone who likes to take notes, I recommend having some scrap paper journal and something to write with. And all you need are two D6s. Which I have. Yes, I have them too. Those are the game materials, like the physical materials. And to give like an audio overview, there are three parts of like the story play, the gameplay to Green Hour. But before that, you create your characters. And it's a fairly straightforward character creation. You give them a name, choose an old god that they are sort of associated with on their lineage and what the domain of that god is. They're all natural elements. So the the examples in the books are like the tide or calm air, sunlight, that kind of thing. You know, looking at it, I guess it's actually not that standard of character creation. You don't really have stats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you do. You do have stats. Yeah, but but (laughs) they're... They're like, for example, a choose a temptation, something that beckons you away from your fate, and then choose a tension. The two of your family lines have bad blood between them. And so the two players sitting down to this game in an open-ended fashion decide what that is. Then once that's done, we will roll for our ritual mantle. And I think we can talk about that a little bit more once we get there. Yeah. Unless yes. you want. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Right. So let's 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 start at our our base stats, and our base stats look like they are honorable and impious. Yes. So we just start with three each. For listeners at home, our honorable stat starts at three. We use honorable to comfort our betrothed, fulfill our duties, and act on behalf of the temple. If both of the D6s are are higher than your stat of three, you write the higher number here as your honor stat. If either D6 is lower than three, take a three instead. Okay, so we can actually roll to see if we get higher than three to Mm -hmm. start with. Okay, 
So I got a six and a two. I got a six and a four. So you had one of your D6s higher than three. Mm -hmm. I had one that was higher than three and one that was not. So I stay at three. Mm -hmm. And I think I go up to four. All right. And that was for honorable. That was for honorable. Then impious works the same way mechanically. We would roll impious when we reject the old gods, lash out emotionally, and betray the land. Hey, we're peeling back the curtain here. Uh, Zoom really messed this up for us. And so Gian uh, and I had to record this section again. There's there's only a little bit that we're replacing. We were just rolling to get our impious stat. And I rolled a four and a six, which means that I come away with a four for my impious. Yeah, I think I rolled pretty high. It was like um, a five. No, you rolled a low? really low. You rolled two and one. You're right. Um, giving you three. I'm so glad you wrote that down i'm also coming in a little hot on my audio so i'm going to adjust it just a little bit um yeah we're, we're learning we're learning how to i am to hitting you are listening to me hitting a learning curve live listeners this is a you could frame it as it being a special treat that's like one way to think of it so yeah cool i rolled pretty low which means i i stuck to valerian's duties she basically didn't have any reason to rebel against what what was like on the table for her the funny thing we don't even know her name yet in the reality of of this recording right. we're about to invent her name <laughs> so the next thing that we do is was actually choosing names and gian you decided to go with one of the example names which was valerian right and I, at this point, found a very fun er editorial error that I made where I listed the names as uh, like the, the, the options of names. And instead of writing or other, I put and other, which means that other is just one of the listed names that you can pick. Therefore, I chose <laughs> other. So we are Valyrian and other. The next thing that we do is pick our ritual mantles. And I actually wanted to make sure that I have the PDF open for this oh, uh, yeah. because the, the mantles, in my opinion, are one of the coolest parts of this game. They are extremely evocative. They're like one of the first things, pieces of text that like Gion had nailed down for this. And I think all of the cool things about the game kind of like sprung up around that cool detail you can't see it if you're listening to the show but i'm grinning right now because i i am really proud of those um of that part of the game it was if i remember my writing process correctly i think it's actually where i started so you're not wrong saying the rest of the game kind of formed itself around them well and like we one of the cool things is we just got a bunch of versions of this just like through an editorial process and like those were the things that each time that it felt like we were trying to and this is this is a, maybe an uncharitable way to put it we were trying to defend from the editorial board like <laughs> the heart of the game we wanted to preserve in the final version while the editorial board ha had like their feedback and comments which a lot of which were helpful but I didn't want any of that feedback to corrupt like kind of the cool vision that Gian had laid down with that part of the game. I don't think that's super uncharitable to the editorial board. Uh, <laughs> personally. <laughs> yeah, they, they were trying to do uh, a good job. And so are we. And you did a great job finding the middle ground for it. And all those mantles are intact, which is great because they're very weird. Um, mm -hmm. and it was not a guarantee that they were going to basically be untouched throughout. So you did a great job with that, I think. Well, I think everybody, everybody involved did a good job, <laughs> which, you know, you, you always love to see. So when we were rolling for this, we, and we decided mantles technically take place later in the actual writing of the rules, but we wanted to pick our mantles before we defined what our temptations were, because we figured the mantle would influence what the nature of our god actually ended up being. Yeah. And we had Gion rolled a three for Verdant Bed. Gian, do you have that text in front of you? I do. Should I read it out loud? Yeah, read it out loud. So, a verdant bed. Sow your garden of your mantle with living, tender young plants that sprout from your own body. And I rolled a two here, which got me seize embrace. Flood your bower with a warm tide, glowing with bioluminescence. And with that, 
we have covered all of the audio that got messed up. That's what got uh, messed and- up? Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, like, not good that it got messed up, but it, I was, like, so ready to, like, replay a bunch. And I'm like, what was this character like? What did she look like? No, that's great. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. That's all handled. Uh, so thank you for bearing with us, listeners. We return you to the past where this game was played in real time. And for me, many thanks again to Tracy for <laughs> being so uh, patient, uh, saintly even, um, with their patience. With that in mind, I'm going to move back to Temptation. Um and it, it seems that I am serving a sea god of, of sorts. I, I am serving a god that whose mantle is a warm tide that has glowing bioluminescence. So I think not only is my character like in a sea temple, but I think it is a dark and deep sea temple. Like, uh, I, I think in whatever civilization we have, uh, it's probably, you know, not the sort of thing where we have like uh, submarines or, you know, advanced uh, marine biological like tools and whatnot. But everything about the temples is like decorated with deep sea fish. There are like angler fish and bioluminescent things. And like some of the weird sea creatures that you would see crawling around volcanic vents. Um, So there is like in this place, uh, it is only lit by bioluminescent things. Like one of the things I think when I was a baby, uh, and when my name was burned away as an offering to make me into the scion, uh, I, that is when I kind of committed to never gaze upon the sun again. Um, and I'm going to say, like, I've grown up now. I, I am now an adult. And uh, this is, even if this is a religion where the sort of magic that is behind the religion is palpably real in, in a very concrete and provable way, uh, people still treat it like a religion where, you know, you do the best you can, but it's not always perfect. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm mostly kept in the inner sanctum, uh, the inner sanctum of the the temple and whatnot, where it is pretty dark and uh, there are warm pools everywhere, and we are on kind of like volcanic earth. Uh, so there is seawater that that like comes in and it warms up on the stones. Like it's actually a very like warm and and pleasant place to be. Uh, however, uh, there are some areas of the temple that aren't perfect, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it was originally the stone was, was hewn better and it's been worn by, by years and years of, uh, just being around, but like sunlight has trickled in every so often. And while I think I was always too afraid to actually, approach the beams and look directly into the beam because I know that's forbidden. Um, I do everything except that. Like when there is a ray of light that has entered in this place, I am fascinated by it. And I, like, I looked at it like with, with hunger and like that kind of secret, like sort of adolescent hunger that you have when you know that you're doing something that the people around you would disapprove of, but it's fun and like you want to explore more of it. Like it is exactly that sort of thing, um, that, that transgressive joy. So my temptation is just sunlight. God, I love I love that how simple and straightforward it is, but it has so much weight because of the, the context of your temple, like your your people's God and and expression of worship there. That's really cool. For verdant bed, I think because our honorable and impious was inverted, and because it seems like even our gods are while complementary, not completely matched, I would love to almost do the opposite thing. So I think that my, I think Valyrian 
their temple and their religion before they they come to meet you at this at this union ceremony is one that that celebrates light because the sun is what gives life it's what makes things grow the water has to be fresh it can't be seawater it has to be water that comes from the land and so the temple is literally a garden a constantly shifting tended garden that is at its best adapted with whatever happens to the land. But as things are dying, um, which we can define a little more concretely as we go, it's been harder to adapt. And so the garden has become more conscripted, more rigid. Um, And now there are all these rules that came up around light, how you can't uh, go out when it's dark anymore. Like your commitment to the God when Valyrian's birth name was burned was that they would never know darkness like nighttime on their skin again. And so the second the sun starts going down, I think that there is like a nightly kind of like crepuscular ritual that happens every dawn and every sunset where all the worshipers have to go out um, to both greet the sun and then bid goodbye to it and then like flee inside. And so I think for Valyrian, there's like that youthful transgression, right? Like when you have, I imagine this temple like actually being full of people. It isn't lonely. There's like a lot of people, but there's that pent up feeling, which maybe is relatable right now where Mm -hmm. you're staying inside and it's not entirely by choice. And when you're young, that's really hard. And so I think that there were a lot of like clandestine sneakings out to the garden at nighttime. And I can imagine Valerian's temptation being the opposite of others, of it being like the dark, the absence of the sun. Oh, that's interesting. That that's that's really really cool. You know, th- this also kind of trans transfers us into our tension that we have with one another. That that we have these sort of like themes and practices for uh, our our temples that are so opposed. Like. Uh, I mean, I think part of the setting is that these are the last two temples that like can do this, right? That can yeah. birth the new God and, and save the world. So we have to be basically each other's last choices in this, right? I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's that the tension of heavy obligation without a lot of uh, choice behind it. Yeah, yeah. Like when I think about it and I, I think about Valerian and, and kind of what that God represents, because like it's it's sprouts and, and a garden, like basically I think as long as life exists, Valerian will be around. And like, that's the thing, having a dying planet, we're in the last vestiges of life, but sort of necessarily i think other the god attached to these sea vents like they should die uh before valerian would or or would have you or like we're Mm. this weird order of life that is not really seen and interacted with so like there is this this sense about us that it would be better to unite with anyone else because like the world that would come out of other uniting with Valerian just like would necessarily be so different. So I kind of feel like that's where a lot of the tension is coming from, but there's got to be pettier tension on top of that because let's talk about this temple that I'm in. The temple that I'm in is like volcanic pools and whatnot it's basically hot tub city. It's like <laughs> you, you stay in the dark. You only have dim light. So it is pale people who are either in like hot tubs or saunas and that's their whole existence. And your mantle is like sprouts coming from your body. So like that made me picture like people keeping like dirt and stuff in their hair and like literally g- growing plants out of it. Yeah. We have to think that you're dirty and gross. Uh, can we, can I, I have an idea. Can we actually take a moment to describe like just one or two things about the other person's temple? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah. I think like that the sea God's temple is 
actually obscenely beautiful. I think that the volcanic rock has been carved into beautiful reliefs. And because of the bioluminescent, bioluminescent light from living organisms, it's like an eerie blue or green, sometimes purple, that when it gathers on mass, it like looks like kind of that like sharp white bright light, but usually it's really diffused. And so the way that all the plankton and fish and like marine animals give off their light, the temple has been carved into these volcanic cave walls that are designed to look as though everything is always moving the way that things are always moving in the tide, just because of the way that light plays on them. And so it's actually ridiculously gorgeous. And maybe when we were very young and we were like promised to each other, we didn't meet each other because our first meeting is when the game starts. Mm -hmm. But by obligation, we had to go to the other person's temple to pay homage to it. And it was like this whole ridiculous ceremony. Maybe we were like six or seven years old, like just young enough to remember and have it be vague. And so Valerian remembers seeing this like otherworldly beauty and also people at rest. I think that Valerian's temple, you're always working, you're always tending, you're always looking, you're always observing, you're always doing. And even indoors, you're like tending uh, seed beds that are like grown inside. You're checking water. You're, you know, there's just, there's always motion and you only rest when you are asleep and you don't sleep long because you get up with the dawn. And what they saw, what she saw were just all these people in hot tubs like lounging in this beautiful, gorgeous temple with this like light that she's never seen before. And it's just like, yeah, this is the way to live. (laughs) Like what a beautiful place. And so it didn't even occur to her that there might be temptation outside the cave for her. It was like, I would love to, even at six or seven, the idea of rest was so delicious to her. I'm going to put that down as a temptation too. Oh, that's good. That's so good. I like w- more thinking through it like you describe your temple as a garden. I think this temple used to be like what w- what your temple was used to cover acres and acres of land. It was just this beautiful verdant thing that that stretched over all the world and over time it shrank back like as the world started to die as as like biodiversity left this planet the domain of the garden started to shrink back and back and i kind of think for the religious leaders of of your culture not much about life changes for them like they sure pull the gardens back but like you're still kind of living in this beautiful curated verdant paradise and i think part of what comes from that is it has to constantly be maintained mm-hmm. like these are plants that everyone is taking, you know, very special and gentle, specific care of in order for them not just to to bloom and blossom, but like bloom and blossom in their like most verdant best. You know, the fruits and vegetables that come out of here are like always swelled full and delicious. The flowers are always vibrant and, and opening wide and like a lot of what it calls for there is toil. This isn't, when we think about nature gods and a lot of things, I, I think usually the themes are this nature god is about letting things passively exist outside the influence of humanity. I think this religion might flip the script a little bit. I think y'all are about this is what can nature can be if it is carefully tended and seen to by human stewards. So that extends to when you are part of this order, you are committing yourself to the the nurturing guardianship over other living things. And like that extends to plants and animals and whatnot. And I, I think there is a very symbiotic sort of natural relationship there, but that has led to like this ritualistic practice of like growing moss and, and plants in, in your hair or, or on your skin. And like a lot of sort of living accoutrement to your existence. 
which is really, really hard work and I kind of think is diametrically opposed to the way the other works is there are a lot of opportunistic predators that are existing there or, or animals that are just sort of feeding off the heat of these vents. I think the temple and other just kind of provides us with what sustenance that we need. And we are just, uh, apart from, you know, maintaining the sort of bioluminescence in the temple and whatnot, we're just supposed to chill. Like that is our obligation or whatnot. And I also kind of think like you mentioned this ceremony of us being promised to each other of like after what I'm sure was months and months of political negotiation of what a union between these scions would be. Like, I, I think there was this like, okay, we're going to bring these two parties close to one another. So like a garden had to be prepared outside of our temple for a really long time so that it could be a place where you could even set foot. Like you can't yeah. set foot on untended ground or something like oh, that. Oh, so I like, love that. I Your vision of Valyrian's temple makes me real life extremely happy for reasons I'd love to talk about after the game but it's just <laughs> it is just picture perfect for so many reasons and I absolutely love it um you talking about a ceremony being a, a more extended thing actually gives me an idea oh, which is please. so I mentioned Valyrian being taken to the sea god's temple when she was like six or seven um what if at like every kind of significant like maybe even once a year, we have to go to each other's temples. And there is a moment when we pass each other, but we can't see each other because there's a screen of some kind. Oh, what if we've been getting closer every year? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I love that's the really idea cool. of like your people coming out of this cave with this like covered palanquin of basalt and obsidian. So it's like glittering and dark and like the textures are contrasting it's that sharp like sleek glass of obsidian with the like kind of soft matte quality of the basalt but it's all uh carved so that you can see out just enough but it's still shadowed and dark inside and then like valerian's palanquin is you know just plants like a like a bower a little bower plants that her people are carrying and we can see each other's palanquins at a distance knowing that the other is inside but we can't see each other. We can only see the symbols of our gods. Oh, that rules. That rules. Uh, I, I think, Gian, I think knowing this, I do want to layer one more thing before we, I think the last like birthday celebration that we had of, of us two coming together, uh, I think we had to give each other a gift. Like, you know, and this had to be something that we thought to give the other. So we have had this long protracted relationship with each other where all we saw and knew of each other was what our temple leaders had said to us and the few glimpses that we've had of the other's palanquin, the other's like, you know, prepared ceremonial space. So like all we've known of the other is like, the sort of symbols that represent things that our religions typically don't gel with. And so like based on that information and based on that relationship, like what did we think to offer the other as like a, a, a gift to one another? Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. I sure hope you're enjoying this week's episode, but before we get back to it, I want to thank all of you. The reason I gotta thank all of you is recently the Audioverse Awards were announced, and so many one-shot shows and performers were recognized, I just wanted to read it out on air. First off, Arnie Parrott got recognized for both Way Hey Ho on Skyjack's Courier's Call, for Best Lyrical Composition in a New Podcast, 
and recognized again for Call of the Sky on Campaign Skyjacks for Best Lyrical Composition in a Podcast. After that, Allie Grauer was recognized for her editing work as both an environmental sound design editor and action sound design editor for Skyjack's Courier's Call. Drew Merzieski was recognized for player direction on Skyjack's Courier's Call. Victoria Rogers was also recognized for player direction on the Broadswords. And I was recognized for player direction on Campaign Skyjack's. Aaron Catano Saez took home gold for being CC Whitwick on Courier's Call, as well as Allie Grauer, who was recognized for playing June Hemnall. Skyjack's Courier's Call was also recognized as an outstanding new production, and The Broadswords was recognized for being an outstanding existing production. I have to recognize that we got this recognition because so many of you went out and voted for us. People pour their hearts and souls into shows on this network, and we get to see your appreciation all the time in so many different ways. From people talking about our shows on social media, to people coming out and backing our Patreon. But getting awards like this means a lot. Sometimes you need the sort of validation just to keep going. And I am so proud of the work that everyone does on their shows here. And I consider these awards victories for everybody involved in those productions. What we do here at the One Shot Network is collaborative content. You almost never have a great game just because of one player. It's always people building to support each other. So congratulations to all of the teams involved in our shows here on the One Shot Network. You do so many amazing things, and you deserve to be recognized for it. A huge thank you to all of the fans who made this possible. Now, if you happen to be listening to this show and think it's pretty rad and that it deserves some recognition, I recommend heading over to our Patreon. Our supporters provide the funds that help us make these amazing shows. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to hire editors, pay our performers, and do all the things that make one-shot programs incredible. So please, if you're enjoying yourself, take some time to head over to our Patreon and sign up to become a backer. That also gets you access to really cool rewards. A huge thank you to everyone who supports us already, and everyone who's going to support us in the future. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. I don't know if this counts as like metagaming. <laughs> I love, uh, but I have this idea, which is that Valyrian not only is not naturally great at giving gifts, but probably like this was heavily not negotiated, but like this was not a wholly independent decision. I imagine her being like, I want to give this. And then like 50 people who she's close to at the temple giving their different opinions on her decision. Um, and that that's just been how it is her whole life. And she's always, always, kind of caved or found a compromise because that's what you have to do in a garden and this was the one time she was like no I really like this and it is one of the lamps that they use to simulate daylight to grow seeds and a bunch of small seeds like a ubiquitous like like a grass or something something that is just everywhere and thrives with the sun and she was like this is who we are as people and this is something that maybe they've never seen and I like this gift and it you know, they were like, you need to find something that's more related to the sea god, um, you know, find a bridge and unintentionally, completely unintentionally, a perfect gift for other. Yeah, I I think that is beautiful. I, and I kind of think like probably like maybe the gift exchange happened every year. But like when we were younger, before we were about to, you know, take our mantles to to start our godhood together, like the last gift couldn't be given by anyone but us. So like nobody had a veto in this situation. What were your temptations again for you? It was vespertine things. So like things that bloom and thrive at night. And okay. And also the like just the concept of rest. <laughs> yeah. I think what I gave to you, like I've heard all of these stories about, you know, what your people are like. I think perhaps there is, because I've got this, like, there's kind of a spa culture thing already happening. 
like in inside our temple. I think because a lot of my life has been dictated and, and my perspectives have been dictated by like the things that priests have said to me. All I've heard about your people is they toil constantly. They're all f- like dirty, like they stink. I think I gave you a vessel from one of our precious bioluminescent like cleansing pools that like this is a water that is inhabited by a type of creature that not only glows but like kind of makes the water thick and a little oily and you are supposed to just pour it over your skin and have it like rub into your skin and you absorb not a toxin but like through that process you absorb a bit of a chemical that like fully relaxes your body so it's like well if they've been working hard and dirty their whole life they should have like a bath and relax which (laughs) yes it's also it's also kind of like one of the most forbidden things that i could offer and like i think priests on either side of our cultures have been like no you can't do that it's gonna be so offensive and like inadvertently it's a perfect gift that we love yeah we're both speaking to each other's like deepest desires totally accidentally basically out of youthful rebellion I imagine Valerian's like I don't know 20 or 21 like just total enough to to be an adult and have adult responsibilities but still pretty impetuous or impulsive at times I have to imagine that that other is like in a similar position. We were probably promised to each other or became scions at a similar time. Yeah. And I have to imagine we've been living a pretty strange life because like we must both have the sense that the life that we live is not the way that other people. Yeah. And I am. I think the way that I imagine, based on your description of Valerian's temple with the constant tending and management of this surreally beautiful, uh, abundant, fertile garden, is that just like a lot of unflattering, messed up misconceptions of other people that you don't know very well, there's like a, Mm -hmm. a kernel, right? So I think that Valerian's people grow their hair very long and then they put it into elaborate braids I think when you're a kid, you can have short hair because you're running around and you're helping a lot. You're mostly like running errands for older people. But as you become a slightly older child, you start growing your hair out. And then around adolescence, it's braided into these like, I'm not, I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but almost like baskets to hold containers that have terrariums or cascades of growing plants. And every day you choose something new that is ailing just a little bit. And through the worship of this, god of verdant beds it actually heals and then that plant can be like transplanted or put back into its nursery whatever and so your hair is like this giant in itself a uh, nursery or or um site of activity and but the braids are gorgeous and elaborate i think the the quote dirt and filth that uh you like the sea god's temple yeah. often talk <laughs> about is actually like pigment paint that is put on the outside of the terrarium it doesn't actually get hair dirty but it's like lining the inside of the terrarium to give nutrients and just the kind of godly alchemy of like the life energy of the temple worshipers as it radiates into these vessels it like brings the plants back to life or or takes away the blight or whatever that is so cool because it makes like kind of the the cultural practice of worship for for that culture is literally turning your body into a nurturing thing which like you know it 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 kind of makes sense and tracks that like if we're worshiping a god that represents like the planet's ability to make things live then to be closer to that god to to worship that god is to reflect what that god does by like yeah we're like we literally carry nurturing on our heads yeah all the time that yeah yeah so good i love it yeah i love i think because i haven't really come up with like a source of gossip right to to feed this tension i think like there's um within the the verdant bed gods uh temple there's like 
when people talk of the sea god, I think there's like a culture of like, try not to say anything bad, which of course just leads to gossip that is conducted in other ways, right? So instead of just directly being like, oh, they're lazy or whatever, there's a lot of talk about dormancy. Like the sea god's temple is dormant. They don't, there's life, but it's not fruiting. There's no fruition there. And a lot of it is sort of that backhanded, you know, like they're there and, and we're in alliance with them for the sake of the world, but they're, they're fallow ground and we are like fertile ground. And there's, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, cause I'm, I'm picturing kind of like all of the people that we have in our temple are like, they're not malnourished or anything, but like most of the the people especially like the the core religious figures in this temple are kind of like skinny live things that you know don't have a lot of fat or muscle on their bodies because pretty much all they do is hang out in a lazy river and like eat seaweed or fish you know yeah yeah and i think valerian's pretty plump like her her people eat well they work a lot so it's that Mm -hmm her skin is like full because she is like very well nourished and her body is strong because she's constantly working. And there's a lot of room in her temple for people who can't be as physical, but as the scion, she has to be. And so their physiques are just completely different, Valerian and and others. And I think that that's actually potentially a source of real fascination Definitely, definitely. Like I, I kind of think the the sort of backhanded compliment for like what we look like would be like, oh, well, those people they're delicate, you know. Yeah, and, and that's like <laughs> trying to be generous because it's like, well, we take care of things that that are hurt or ailing all the time, and these <laughs> folks just look like they're hurt and ailing. I know? love the condescension in it. And I love that even that kind of speaks to Valerian's temptation because you actually, permaculturally speaking, need fallow ground in order to grow things. You can't mm. actually constantly be working soil all the time at its most active state. You'll exhaust it, uh, sort of like right. people. And so again, even this like kind of insult that the temple culture like levels at the sea god's temple valerian's like oh that sounds wonderful though (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good yeah that's good okay so we have i i think pretty well established what our temptations are and and what the tension is like the the tension it seems between our cultures is that like even if we want the same thing even if we want the planet to keep going like if we had our druthers that would look completely different yes i love the richness of the world that we're building Mm -hmm. can i have one more detail oh please I think that our temples are very close together. (laughs) I think that we actually really have to go out of our way to be kept distant from each other. I imagine this almost like a coastal biome. Like, you know how in certain parts of like our in real life world, the the sea and the qualities of the sea actually make the land that's attached to it more fertile, especially if it's volcanic, Um, Mm -hmm. kind of like in Italy, right? So I think the sea god's cave temple is maybe at at the foot of like a peninsula and then the garden god's temple, the, the temple of like fertile land is literally just not that far above it on the other side of the of the volcano. Mm, yeah, I love that. I, I, I like that a lot. There is part of me that suspects that your temple might be a little nomadic in that yeah. like you can move that garden around a little bit there Mm -hmm. might be like a snail trail of like life and and fertility and whatnot (laughs) that that your culture leaves around and like you know annually for the ceremony you you can circle back to like near our cave and we, we probably have like maybe high like a weird reflection of high and low tide where the water in the temple actually like sinks uh, down to certain levels or like sometimes we are like 
a couple hundred meters under the earth because like literally the water in the temple has flowed down to like a deeper, darker inner heart. And then like when we're supposed to meet up again, like the waters have like slowly lifted us to different parts of, of the temple's biome or whatever. Oh, I love that. So yeah, that's we're, so cool. Yes. Yes. That. Yeah, this is this is good. This is good. So yeah, I like that we have room to be really close to each other and mm-hmm. room to be really far apart from each other. Yeah. And there's this like weird thing especially for other like the the thing that I'm noticing is that if other's temptation is sunlight and if the rest of the year other is buried deeper and deeper like underground near this like sort of dark volcanic water or whatever others whole thing as a scion is supposed to eventually be this this marriage to you but that is also simultaneously the time that other is the most tempted like closest to the (laughs) temptation that they have because like they're near the sunlight and like they get to go in the palanquin and actually sort of go outside the cave and whatnot which I is know. Really it's cool it's cool it's kind of sad it's like this one the one day they get to taste what they want most is also the day that their humanity dies yeah oh well i think we're there then <laughs> yeah yeah god i love this world what a cool cool place we've made together yeah i am super super into this yeah me too all right. So should we go into part one? Yeah. Um, oh, and I think we should uh, have a content note here. Like we yes. definitely noted it in the show notes or whatever. Part of this game, like this game is about a marriage and like a consummation of that marriage. And, you know, we, we could we could actually like take this time now that we've established all of that cultural stuff to to set up uh, like certain lines and veils and whatnot. But like we are going to be noting things about physical appearance and there will be a bit of a sexual undertone to the other scenes that we're going to do. Yeah, that's a great note to have. Do you want to do like a quick just like safety tool breakdown maybe? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think it would be good for for us to like. I, I was definitely thinking lines and veils, but if we wanted to use yeah. any other safety tools, th- this would be a good time to put them in place. For sure. I mean, like for me, the the core tools I always use, almost regardless of if I lay them out formally, are the doors always open. Like if if you are, I need to literally get up and stretch or like use the bathroom. Um, we can just do that. But also, if for some reason something doesn't work out for other reasons, like we can just peace out and that's fine because the player is more important than the game. Like you and I are not only friends, we're also just like people doing an activity together. And as people, our well-being is more important than the activity, right? Like if it breaks the game, cause we have to leave, like that's fine. It's a game. And I think that's fine. I, I have kind of a, a bad short-term memory sometimes. So lines and veils is great. I also like to use the X card. I know not everyone yes. does, but especially for like, if I've said like a liner veil and a co-player forgets it or whatever, that's like very reasonable. I want to have a, a rip cord to be able to be like, actually a, a phrase I really like is actually from Jason Morningstar's fiasco, the let's not, I think it's like mm. a nice like so x or like let's not just some verbal indication to to be like let's redo that yeah yeah that that sounds really good to me i mean we we are both folks of adhd persuasion uh, which <laughs> does does unfortunately affect our short term memory uh so that that sounds really good to me but yeah like i i like the idea of laying down some lines and veils just so we have a a general sense of what uh we're comfortable with and the audience can understand what we're definitely not going to deal with and what might come up wonderful yeah there's nothing that goes without saying for lines and veils right so assault yeah. is a is a hard line for me yep <laughs> Especially (laughs) with the connotations of this game. I actually, I think like, because we put that content note in there beyond assault and things I don't really see coming up often, like cruelty toward children or animal cruelty is a hard line for me, but I I don't really think that even narratively is relevant right now. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that's, that's relevant. Like, yeah, most of, like most of the notes that, that, uh, I usually put in lines and veils are 
surrounding acts of violence. Um, mm. So, so like, yeah, anything that is a hard line is is usually around violence, which, again, I don't think is super relevant to the story that we're telling. Mm -hmm. uh, what might be more relevant, though, is, are uh, the veils. The veils, yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that too as you were talking. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's hear from you first, actually, since I led with the line. I think a good limitation. I'm thinking back on all of the most intimate scenes that we've ever featured on One Shot before. I don't think any explicit descriptions of, of sexual activity is, is a thing that will take place on this. So the veil that I would put, like I'm thinking back to our Kagamatsu episodes and like we definitely had a scene where one of the characters had sex with Kagamatsu, but we didn't focus on like that. We kind of focused on how people were feeling and how people, you know, had arranged themselves, not so much what was happening. So I would say if there is any sort of sexual activity between these characters, that it would be limited, like we would pull the focus away from that and focus on emotionally what's important here. And like, what does the, the scene look like as opposed to what is happening in the scene, if that yeah. makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I really love the idea of kind of going internal to draw the veil, to be like, you know, as we fade away, other is feeling this or Valerian is feeling this. Um, sometimes in games I've run that have uh, romantic or sexual undertones or overtones, often explicit activity is also a veil. And what IR players will do is almost draw back like it's a movie and, and describe mm -hmm. like other visual things that might be happening away from that scene. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can metaphor, we can, we can pull a little Terrence Malick and have what might be a baffling shot of nature <laughs> in, yeah. intercut into the action of our, of our scene here. Another thing that I, I would like to say, I, I kind of think description, especially because both of these cultures have like kind of a tradition of how you are supposed to look and how are you are supposed to anoint yourself and that we have like these mantles specifically, I kind of think that it will be necessary to describe the bodies of these characters. So yeah. the thing that I'd like the audience to know is that descriptions of bodies and, and focusing on bodies could be could be a thing in this and that is something that you need to know about. And as players, Gian and I will kind of negotiate what what sits comfortably and we're also working with tracy our editor for this project so we will shout out notes to tracy if we want to take like certain things back or take things out we will let tracy know that that's happening so there may be uses of certain safety mechanics that the audience might not be privy to but that we as performers are yeah, yeah. And also just general shout out to Tracy. I've heard wonderful things about their editing skills. So this will be very yeah. cool to see the end result. I am looking forward to how this one turns out. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> I think with that, unless there are any other veils that we want to throw down, yeah. we can sort of move forward having the doors open and like, let's take yeah. that back version of the X card in play. I think we're good. I think we're good too. I think we can be alone together. <laughs> yes which is what part one is called so there's a little bit of build up to alone together where yes. we answer some questions i kind of like the rhythm we've set up where you sort of go first and then i i bridge and and build after you how do you feel about that for for part one no that 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 feels good to me to let people know i am answering uh, answer the following prompts together out of character then act out a conversation between the two of you so the first thing that i have is family my family stewards blank and i'm thinking like okay family has got to basically be the temple and i think it's my family stewards the tide i am thinking that our temple is kind of like not only is it this weird spa thing but it's also like a kind of a water park in a way we <laughs> have kind of a constant flowing lazy river in this temple where it sort of carries people from room to room and will deposit people in different rooms 
And that sort of lets us know what the expectations of our stewardship are. And as I've said, like, I, I think our temple specifically is a different sort of stewardship than maybe the other scions that, that have gone extinct ha have had, where our responsibility is to almost passively experience the gifts that the God provides us. So like we wade into the pool when we wake up and the pool will uh, carry us to a room and like it might be you know, we just sort of swirl into another pool that has steps and you come out and that room is where you get a massage. And then like it carries you down oh, and yeah. the next room is like where you eat, whatever you eat. And like there might be a little bit of stewardship, but I, I think this God is very keen on being like, the warm body that provides our life. So the God mostly takes care of things and the worshipers kind of just agree to seal themselves inside and, and play by the God's rules. However, I, as the scion, have specific responsibilities. I am responsible for blank. I think I am responsible for... I am responsible for letting for the the flow of the tide. So basically there are different channels and things that water can be moved into and out of. And as a child, I was raised in this temple in a very particular way, raised alongside the flow, and I as Scion am supposed to be instinctually aligned with the other with the god that kind of like oversees this temple so i am supposed to know what parts of the temple are supposed to be shut down and have water channeled away from them and what parts of the temple are supposed to have water channeled toward them Ooh. it's basically like every day i kind of experience things alongside the temple leaders and the worshipers who come to the temple and whatnot but also, I, I think before I commit myself to bed, I am supposed to pick out how that flow is supposed to work. And I will say as an internal note, I don't even know if I'm good at that job. I just make decisions <laughs> and I have been told that I am, I've been raised in a way that will make me make the right decisions, but I kind of have a secret deer that like fear that like one day stuff just won't work because I'll have done it wrong. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> that's real. <laughs> that's very real. <laughs> then the second question is twining our two domains together will strengthen the land by I think i think it is bringing the tides to the surface like there's an idea like whatever negotiation took place between the temple leaders who you know really kind of laid out this world is right now all of the resources that are enjoyed by those that follow this this deep god of the volcanic vents beneath the earth like all of those resources are kind of available in those vents and at whatever temples worship this god and that's kind of it and like the thing that they are offering to the land is we will reforge the world in a way that allows the life that has previously been just found in these depths to intermix with the rest of the world and therefore provide sustenance and fertility and whatnot. So basically we've been isolated and we will no longer have that isolation. And in return, the creatures that kind of lived around and whatnot will flourish and become a larger part of the world than they used to be. This episode of One Shot features music by Scott Buckley, provided under a Creative Commons International 4.0 license. The track used 
is Where Stars Fall. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work online, anywhere, at The Other Tracy. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with more A Green Hour. In the meantime, be sure to check out some of the other amazing shows here on the One Shot Network. Like the newly award-winning program, Skyjack's Courier's Call. Follow the adventures of Cece, June, and Kieran as they attempt to join the Swiftwell Courier Service. Sphere's only mail-carrying service that has the mission to right wrongs and do mercies. Courier's Call is an all-ages spinoff of the Campaign Skyjacks podcast. So, if you've got a young one in your life who would love to hear about the adventures of kids in a world full of daring sky pirates, giant birds that you can ride, and folk magic, then Skyjacks Courier's Call is the show for you. You can find it on your favorite podcast app or at oneshotpodcast.com. As always, we end one shot with a call to action. And this week, I'd still like people calling in about HR1, now also known as S1, also known as the For the People Act. It's a comprehensive democracy reform bill that includes provisions to fight voter suppression, creating national automatic voter registration, and prohibits voter roll purging. And that's only scratching the surface of what it does any one of these provisions would be extremely valuable to protecting our democracy. But in order to get it through, we need support, especially in Maine and West Virginia. But even if you're not in one of those places, call your representatives and voice your support anyway. The larger the groundswell of public support is, the more likely we are to see these reforms actually enacted. Now, when I call my representatives, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five calls.org. There you can find issue summaries for issues like this one, along with contact information for your representatives and scripts to read while you're on the phone so you can get your points across clearly. Calling is quick and it can make a huge difference on critical issues like this one. Thanks, heroes.